Hey guys, it's time for Nina's Got Good News. Nina's a former TV news gal who used to share all the news. Now, as a mom and small businesswoman, she wants to share only the good stuff. It's time to brighten your day. So here's your host, Nina B. Clark. Hi everyone, how are you? This is Nina Clark, your friend and the host of Nina's Got Good News. Welcome back. I'm so, so grateful that you're back. Thank you all so much for all the love and support. I appreciate it so much. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any episodes of Nina's Got Good News. Just hit that follow button and then you won't miss one of our episodes. Also, please consider sharing our podcast with a friend who appreciates positive content. I would love that so much because that's how we can keep growing. So again, please consider sharing this with a friend. Sharing is caring, right? All right. So happy fall. How is everyone doing now that it's fall? It's officially fall. How is everyone doing? It's a beautiful time here in New England. That's for sure. Even though you guys know I talk about this a lot, summer is my favorite season because we live here on the water in Connecticut. But I also do really like fall. Fall is such a great season in Connecticut. I love seeing all the leaves changing and the weather is so nice. And of course, as my friends in Boston will say, it's sweater weather. It's sweater weather. We love wearing sweaters too. It's football season. It's sweater weather. It's time to get some pumpkins and go apple picking. I love doing all those things, all those traditions that we do here in Connecticut. So, so much fun. And also in Connecticut, we recently just dropped Charlie off at boarding school in a totally different part of the state um, of Connecticut. But Charlie, so far, so good. He seems to be loving it, which makes it all worth it. Of course, we miss them when they leave the nest, right? But as a mom, we just want our kids to be happy. And knowing that he's happy makes it all worth it. So it is really hard, though, when they leave the nest. So the good news is Blaine is home, keeping me very busy and keeping things interesting with all the middle school stuff now that she's in seventh grade. And of course, her sports schedule is super busy. So that's good because we have a lot. (laughs) We're always on the go. So between hockey, lacrosse, all the things, and she's playing volleyball too now. Forgot to add that in there. That's a new, that's a new sport for her. So it's all good though. These kids grow up so fast. It's just crazy to think about now that we have two teenagers. I can't believe that happened. And sometimes I just feel like they literally were babies yesterday, but now all of a sudden I have two teenagers. So speaking of family, let's talk about today's sponsor. Today's episode is proudly brought to you by a family owned company, Mary Ruth Organics. Mary Ruth is an important resource for all of us when it comes to our overall health and wellness. You guys know I love this brand so much. This is the only brand of vitamins and supplements that we use in our house. Be sure to check out all of their products for the whole family. They have products for babies, toddlers, kids, teens, women, men. Everyone's covered in your house. They have so many great options to help boost your immunity and stay healthy, which is important as we're about to enter cold and flu season. Charlie and Blaine take these vitamins every day. If you go to maryruthorganics.com and use my promo code good news, you will save money at checkout. Again, maryruthorganics.com and use my promo code good news, you will save money at checkout. And of course, we love saving money. So that is good news right now, right? All that information, by the way, about Mary Ruth Organics and the promo code and the website, all that information will be down in the show notes below this episode as well. Okay. 
So on to today's episode, episode number 110. Oh my gosh, my third baby is 110. This podcast is growing because of all of you. So thank you again. We're at episode 110. I love saying that. As a mom, I have found a few trusted parenting experts along the way who are my go-tos for all the parenting stuff, all the parenting advice. One of them is here today. It's such an honor for me to bring you guys this guest. You guys are all going to love her. Her name is Dr. Eliza Pressman. I actually originally found Eliza on my podcast app, right? From one podcast to another. I was literally searching my podcast app for parenting advice. You know, when you have one of those days as a parent where you're like, I need help. (laughs) I have those days often, but luckily I found her podcast, which is wildly popular, by the way. It's called Raising Good Humans. Of course, right away, I knew that I was going to connect with her and that she would be right up my alley because I love that podcast name, right? Raising Good Humans. I feel like as parents, at least for me, that was always my goal, right? Is to raise a good human. And ever since Charlie was born 15 years ago, I always wanted to raise a good human. So I instantly connected and downloaded her episode her podcast and the rest is history. She now has, by the way, over 20 million downloads on her popular parenting podcast, Raising Good Humans. Aliza Pressman is also a, a developmental psychologist with nearly two decades of experience working with families. She's also the co-founder of the Mount Sinai Parenting Center. She is a mom of two teenage daughters. All of her advice is so spot on and so helpful. I always learned so much from her. Aliza's brand new book is called The Five Principles of Parenting. It's coming out very soon and it is now available for pre-order. You all are going to want to read this book because I'm devouring every page of it. She sent me an early copy and I've been loving it so much. It's so helpful. And I'm just leaving it by my bedside so that I can, (laughs) I'll just go back to it often as like a guidebook, right? You can search up the chapter you need. It's good to refresh, right? no matter what age your kids are. Anyway, if you guys want to pre-order her book, by the way, I'm going to put all that information also in the show notes below because it's literally the book that all parents have been waiting for, literally. So again, the information on how to pre-order her book, The Five Principles of Parenting, is going to be below in the show notes because it's available now for pre-order, okay? So let's get to the point now. Let's all learn more about how to raise good humans From the queen herself, she is one of the experts that I personally turn to and trust. Here is my recent conversation with Dr. Elisa Pressman from California. And Dr. Elisa Pressman joins me now from California. How are you? Good to see you, Elisa. How's it going out there? Good to see you. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful day, so no complaints. Good. And how are you doing with getting your kids back to school? Because that's that's an important topic for all the moms and dads. I, this is not an appealing part of my personality. A lot of people are making fun of this, but like my favorite time of year is this in general, I am a fall, September, October, November person, which is weird because I live in California now and not, but I'm an East coaster. So, and being in school for me means like I operate on a school year in my head so it makes sense to me and I know where my kids are and it feels very organized. I don't love the like beginning of the year mayhem where you're there, 
you're told about 700 places you're supposed to show up to at the last minute, but I do love the, the expected part of the year, which to me feels very relaxing. And I know that that is an unpopular point of view. <laughs> I like it too. Cause it's like a reset, right? It's, yes. It's, yeah, it's totally. This it's is like my new, new year. <laughs> It's the new January. January is not my, September is the new January. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So, Aliza, I love the community that you built, the community known as Raising Good Humans. But why, tell us a little bit about like, why are you so passionate about helping all of us? Why do you, why do you love helping kids and parents? I mean, how did that even happen? Because it's a big job for you. Um, it helps me too. So I think it's it's a mutually beneficial um, experience. It's so feels so reciprocal, but I got interested in it because, um, well, first of all, I don't think anybody goes into this field that isn't like very curious about how we come to be who we are and be, and is reflective about their own childhood and their family and all that stuff. So I think probably having a, a bit of a colorful family helped. <laughs> and then, um, uh, I was really deeply obsessed with children at, from an early age. And my mom is a teacher and then I have a science side and my dad is a scientist. And I think I just married those two things. And when I, I thought I was going to do clinical psychology where I thought I'd be a therapist and part of the requirement of deciding, you know, applying to graduate school, I had to take a few prerequisites because I was not a psych major and did not do any psychology in college. And so I took the different arms of psychology, the branches, and there are so many. And I fell in love with developmental psychology, which is exactly described as how you come to be who you are and change over time and the whole thing. So to me, that was so interesting. And I didn't go into clinical, which would be more like the lens of what's going wrong and how do I help? How do I intervene? I'm much more interested in prevention and support. And you obviously love people, right? You're like a people person. You have yeah. to be right. Yeah. Um, okay. So on to the million dollar question, which I'm sure you get at the grocery store, in the pickup line, like at the coffee shop, literally wherever you go. But what the million dollar question is, is there a secret sauce when it comes to raising good humans? I mean, tell us, tell us, cause we all need it. I know. I wish, I wish I had a better like secret sauce, but I think the secret is that there is no secret sauce. And once you come to terms with that and we let go of the inundation of, um, there is so much information out there and some of it is actually really helpful and some of it is harmful and some of it is just noise, but all of it is with some kind of promise of optimizing parenting and optimizing our children's development. And the secret is this is not an optimizable thing. This is a relationship. And once you accept that kids thrive and parents thrive, like once it stops being something that you could perfect and optimize, which you cannot, it really changes your perspective and it also ends up supporting our relationships because we're not always just like trying to get it perfect. And I don't, that is not a parent blaming things. That is my, my, my industry. There are responsible ways to do this. And 
there are irresponsible ways to do it. And in the responsible way, I would say that the only secret sauce is figuring out what it means to you to raise a good human. What is the, how do you define good human? And making that mission personalized to you and your family looking at who your child is so temperament and this is sort of the premise of the book is that that's those are the two things you need that's the work that you do as the parent paying attention to who you are and who your child is and what that reflective experience of like who and why am i how i am and who is this person what do i believe is a good human and then you can look at the science and say given that who my child is who I am and what I value, how can I use the science to, to focus kind of on that exact unique relationship that is unlike any other. And so it is not scriptable, it is not optimizable, it is so unique and special, then you can, I, I'm hoping that my book and podcast and all of that arms parents to realize they are the only and best expert in their child. And I'm here for all the lifting and support necessary to kind of raise good parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of goes both ways. Mm -hmm. So do you think it's like a helpful exercise when we're trying to decide how we define a good human? Do you think it's helpful to like sit down and like write out some adjectives or like, mm -hmm. I mean, what, cause like, how do you, how do you figure that out? You have to kind of sit down and figure out what's important to you and then write it down. And then exactly from there. Exactly. So I, I talk a lot about this in the book with regard to, but by the way, I also talk about it on the podcast and like in general. So if I'm not really a great salesperson and I don't need people to buy anything, I really just want people to have this at their fingertips, but the, the, the exercises are for the most part questions that you ask yourself. So there are some questions in there to help guide you. There are ideas about words that matter to you. Like if you are looking back on your life or you're imagining your child looking back on their childhood, what are some of the words that come up that you would hope they would use to describe you as a parent and themselves? And as you start to do some of those exercises, you slowly come up with repeat words and repeated values that keep appearing. And from that, you can get a real sense of what you mean by good human. And a really fun exercise that I also have is about asking your kids to kind of do the same thing, asking them, what, do you, what are the three things you would say now, this is going to change if you have a four-year-old versus a 14-year-old, of course, but what are the three words that you would say just best describe mommy, for example? Mm -hmm. What are the three words that you think are mommy thinks are the most important words to you? And if there is a complete lack of alignment between what you have come up with and what your child comes up with, again, whether they're three or 13, whatever, that's information. There's nothing wrong. It's just information. And then it means you have to ask yourself, is the problem how I'm embodying this? Like, are the choices that I'm making as a parent not reflecting what really matters to me? Or 
are the words I've chosen not real? Like they're kind of my wish for myself, like but they're, like, they're not authentic. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And 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 what am I judging and why am I judging that? And you could mm -hmm. do, so there's a lot of work. I mean, in the five R's of the five principles of parenting, it's one of them is reflection. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of reflection that you have to do to, that is highly associated with close relationships with your kids as having sort of reflected on the experience of your own parenting life of what you, you know, being raised was like for you and all that stuff and what matters to you. And if you skip that part, you lose out on so much information that can help everyone. So I, I do have a lot of questions to help it along, but essentially what we just, you know, okay. talked about. Can yeah, I love that. That's so good. Um, okay, so tell us, uh, other than reflection, give us the other the other R's and the five R's that are in the book, the five principles of parenting. What are the yeah. other R's? So one of the parts of the book that's really important before we even would get into the five R's is to figure out who you your, your child is, like what's mm -hmm. their temperament. Mm -hmm. um, and the only reason I mentioned that is because when you said secret sauce, I think one of the missing pieces to a lot of our experiences, and I am a mother, so I do this all the time, is checking in with ourselves about, are, am I raising my kid or am I raising a kid that I fantasize I have or that I fantasize I want? And that's a hard question to ask yourself because the, impl the implication is that whatever your child is, is not enough of what you had hopes and dreams about or whoever your child is, no matter how much you love them, there's like a little part of you that's like, well, that's not quite what I was expecting. And so it's important to have those hard conversations with yourself to be able to say like, who is this person? How can I raise this exact person to feel so loved for who they are? Because I'm not trying to change who they are. I'm trying to raise this exact flower, the seed that was planted is not changing. So one way to do that is to think about temperament and pay attention to, you know, little things. Like if you have a baby, even how your baby moves in a crib, let's say, or how predictable their bowel movements are, or how quickly they react to strangers versus friendly faces or new environments, that is information about their temperament. And the reason why it's interesting to think about when they're babies versus older kids is to see that temperament is actually very stable. And you're not, you don't make a hermit crab out of a social butterfly and you don't do the reverse. So what you would want to do is think, who is this kid and how do I raise the best, like how do I provide the best sunlight, water and soil for this exact flower? Instead of if I if I make the sunlight, water and soil just so this orchid's going to turn into a rose, mm -hmm. it's not going to happen. Works. Yeah. So that's kind of important to me to make sure everybody figures out because there's a lot of also I I don't know if you hear this, but I hear a lot of shaming of ourselves and others when like a kid is responding to like a crowded environment or they like don't like certain things and you know people will say well that's because they never get exposed to that or you know it's because their parents overprotect them or throw them into something so much and it's not true i mean sometimes that's true but for the most part it's because there was some kernel of this person 
that was responding in a particular way and the parents probably validated it you know like it could be i have i think i should use a concrete example so it doesn't sound so bizarre but if your child started screaming and crying when their foot touched the pool like the water in the pool you might think they're terrified of pools and never bring them back to the pool or you might say oh my god i gotta throw this kid in because if i don't they're gonna always they're never be gonna swim yeah they're never gonna swim and if you were thinking about their temperament and not all of the noise around it you might say okay i just learned this child does not like new wet scary things so how can i maybe we just sit and look at the pool for a couple of days and then maybe we dip our feet in together and then we come out and then maybe a few days later we go to the bottom step and i will show them they're not going to have to avoid the pool forever but there's a way to ease into something so that they can be more comfortable and that might be how they operate in the world and that would be really adaptable i know myself i got to ease into things so this is how i do it step by step but i'm not afraid to do it because nobody grabbed me and said oh, you're terrified let's never have you go there again and nobody said i don't respect who you are boom i'm throwing you in the water you'll be fine and so i think that temperament matters more than we realize and it is totally innate like you just come out i think people believe it more when they have multiple children like i i think if you have one child you might think temperament isn't a real thing and you might take credit or criticize yourself for certain things and then you have a second child and you're like oh my god this is they're just totally different people and you just that's what happened um so it helps to believe it because then you stop being both narcissistically responsible for every positive and self-flagellating and you know critical for every what you perceive as negative okay so we we work on the temperament and then then we can dive into the five r's yeah so the first one is relationship i i i frame them with r's because it was easy to remember but obviously I'll say relationship. And if anybody's deep diving into the psychology of growth and development, you might think the word connection or attachment or um, all sorts of things that we talk about that are a, some word that is essentially saying relationship. And relationship is the most protective thing we have for our kids. So I never want anybody to compromise their relationship with their child. That doesn't mean you don't hold boundaries and rules and um, have guardrails because that's part of being a safe person. Um, but it does mean that above all else, you cultivate a close connection so that that relationship can serve as a protective factor. Because we know from the research, none of these things are my ideas. These are, I'm just framing them in a particular way, but this is all from decades of research. We know that children who have one, and it only takes one, so you don't need to have a perfect family unit, um, nuclear family unit. It takes one loving and supportive, sensitive caregiver that helps you feel seen and loved for who you are in order to be to move through the world in a way that it's like the closestly linked with resilient 
resilience. So if you have that and bad things happen, which they inevitably will, hopefully not terribly bad, but some bad things are bound to happen for, for everybody. We're people, this is part of the human condition. The difference between a kid who experiences those things with that one relationship and without is the difference between toxic stress and tolerable stress. Mm -hmm. That is so heavily covered in the science of child development and the neuroscience of child development that I felt like I'm only choosing principles that are so replicated and deeply true in the science that you can't go like, well, it depends on the context because context matters. But in any context, across any culture, across any situation, horrible, good, and everything in between, relationships are the most protective factor. Okay, so we have relationship and then... And then reflection, which we talked reflection. about. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and then regulation. So regulation oh, is both co regulation and self-regulation. Regulation is just simply said the capacity to manage your thoughts, emotions, and attention in a goal-oriented way, meaning to serve you so that you don't like hit somebody over the head because you're mad and then go, you know, get in trouble or so that you don't um, explode at the grocery store when they're out of stock of something that you were looking forward to. It helps you move through the world. We all need regulation. Um, when children are younger, also regulation, of course, in no great shock is highly linked with resilience. Um, when we're younger, we don't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex. So we can't just fully self-regulate because the capacity to fully self-regulate doesn't really get finished until you're in your twenties because your brain is still developing. And the part of your brain that houses the capacity to do this is the part of your brain that develops the slowest. And so you need to co-regulate. You need someone else who can, in a sense, lend you their calm. So if you're tantruming and you're like swirling, and then you have another person swirling like a tornado and they're not regulated, it gets worse. But if you're tantruming and there's somebody by your side who's taking a deep breath and saying to themselves, I'm not being chased by a bear. My child is not being chased by a bear. This is an uncomfortable feeling. Those are survivable. We're going to get through this. You're saying this in your head. You don't, yeah. your, your words would not be received well to the tantruming child. Over time, your child is learning, A, that feelings are not dangerous, which that is a really really profound thing to deeply believe because i know that we can say that theoretically but we are terrified of feelings like when our kids are upset it is painful it's painful because it's scary because you don't know how to fix it and all we want to do is fix it then you grow up and you're like who's fixing this mm -hmm. <laughs> like what nope. we have to fix it ourselves we have to fix it ourselves yep. and even better if you can say it's temporary, it's painful, it's uncomfortable, I know that there's another side. I'm going to get out the other side. And there's no way to believe that if you haven't had that co-regulation in your young life. Mm -hmm. So we can do huge favors to our kids by being regulated when they are dysregulated. It's 
it's just it's a long game <laughs> we're in it for the long haul though here right yep yeah okay um, so we've so got three out of the five what's we got three out of the five and obviously there are a gazillion exercises that you can do to get strong build those muscles stronger because which i think is so heartening like i didn't choose anything that isn't growable because <laughs> that's depressing like who needs a book or a conversation about parenting where it's like there's nothing you can do about it <laughs> and no we need we we want it we want to grow and get better we want to improve okay so then what are the last two r's in the five r's okay so the the next r the fourth r is super important and doesn't get a lot of attention <laughs> is rules because it's very unpleasant sounding um and i think right now we are so inundated with how important sensitivity sensitivity of care is which it is and the connection that we don't know that that doesn't mean you don't have rules that are for sure going to not at a minimum be irritating to your kids and more likely be very dysregulating to your kids and upsetting and so it's a balance because you have to think about like it's authoritative parenting. It's a very specific style that is in the research. And it's where you are highly sensitive and attuned, which is the relationship. And also you have a very clear set of rules, which just is like an R word for limits and expectations and boundaries. And you need both which is really hard because that means when you set that rule and your child is not liking it, you want to be sensitive and acknowledge that it, that, that it stinks, but stick with your predictable, explicit, developmentally appropriate rule. Mm -hmm. That's a hard one. It's so hard. And there are ways to gauge whether a rule is one that's appropriate or not. And what, you know, like what questions to ask yourself to check in, and it will be both dependent on your child's developmental stage and your own values. And so there's a lot involved in those rules. I'm not saying it's simple. Um, and I do try to help that along and support that, but it's still necessary. Mm -hmm. um, My husband and I always have a, have this thing that we keep saying over and over in our heads to each other. We're in charge. We're in charge. We're in charge because sometimes the kids can take over and you're like, wait, I thought I was happen? in charge. And yeah, I think I have to remind you know, myself. Yeah. It's hard. Cause it's like, first of all, no one tells you when you're growing up that when you're an adult, you're not going to be like super aware that you're an adult. Right. <laughs> like there's your app, like you are the final word. That's very intimidating. Mm -hmm. Like I often am thinking, why is nobody, like checking me at this point. <laughs> yeah. So when you have those thoughts, it also gives you some empathy for kids because it is nice to know that ultimately there is someone who's got some sense of what needs to happen and that they are thinking about it from a developmental perspective. So they understand where you're, where you're at and what is an adequate and appropriate expectation versus an inappropriate one. And all of those things come into play with rules. Um, and I know that each one of these is obviously a lo much longer conversation, but you have to buy into the fact that you need both of those things. 
Um, Otherwise you get a lot of permissiveness, like this beautiful sensitive care without the rules ends up like we know from the research that you're more likely to have kids who have anxiety and depression when they have no appropriate rules and boundaries and expectations. It's just, and, and the thing that I think is so heartbreaking about that is that the parents who are super good at sensitivity of relationship are definitely not thinking that they are, by not holding those boundaries and limits, which are different, but you know, they are all under the umbrella of rules, that, that it would be actually undermining the very thing that they're trying to help their kids with. Oh my God, this is all so good. I feel like we could talk for 10 hours. Okay, what's the final R? The final R is repair. Hmm. So repair is another very prominent part of developmental research. And I love it because we are never going to get it right. We have a gazillion opportunities each day. We screw up a lot of them. The good news is that repair is a deep part of the research that you need small ruptures and repairs in order to create a strong foundation and without any ruptures you would not have repairs to know how strong your foundation is and so if you think about it like you're going to screw up let's just assume that because if you didn't if anybody has had a perfect parent then they know that it sucks to have a perfect parent because first of all, they're obviously not perfect, but the presentation of perfect, because it then makes you question yourself, like, well, why can't I be perfect? So having making those mistakes, those fantastic mistakes we'll make constantly, flying off the handle, making the wrong decision, forgetting something, messing up in the relationship, whatever it is, the fact that repair is actually making the relationship stronger and helping kids understand that relationships survive missteps is gold. So it helps everyone. So actually, I highly recommend people make mistakes in front of their kids and make, you know, have disrepair in the relationship sometimes, because that's just the reality of being a person. And so I think it's another heartening thing about the research is that it's important. It's not just the reality, but it's actually beneficial. Um, And when you take those five principles together, those are the five environmental influences on resilience. And that's ultimately we want kids who are, who have capacity to bounce back. The other components are not solvable from us. Like what neighborhood or socioeconomic status or, you know, any of the factor, there are a host of factors that are, that make the environment what it is that you can't do anything about, but this stuff you could do something about, because all you need to control for any of these is yourself. And that is all we have in this world is that control. I don't know what, there's no control over your kids or your partner. (laughs) Like there's, you can make nice suggestions, but there's no control. And so for me, it's incredibly powerful to have the, it's like, oh, I got, I can do that. That is doable. And thank you for giving us permission to fail. 
because by the way, I do that like every single day. I mean, I'm so good at it. Yeah. But then it's so good because then we get another, you know, you just reset and you get another chance. I love that. So, um, Aliza, obviously the tips are going to be super different if you have a baby versus you and I having teenagers. So let's start with what is your number one tip right now for, for a new parent? What is your top tip for a new parent? And then we're going to, I'm going to ask you the same for your number one top tip for people with older kids, like you and me with teenagers. So let's start with top tip for new parents. Number one tip. Well, I really tried to not have this be age specific with the suggestions and then use age specific, like here's this concept, here's how it plays out, whether you, you know, I separated by age. So infant, toddler, preschool, school age, teen, whatever. But it's not that the tips are different. It's that how they would, I guess, be operationalized would be different. But I would say like an overall, all feelings are welcome, all behaviors are not is something that is true throughout. But with, if you have a baby, I think that the thing that we forget, and I do think it's a rite of passage. So I don't wanna pretend that this is ridiculous, but like if you can keep telling yourself that the minutia of like how you started, did you start solids with baby lid weaning or with you know the traditional methods? Did you, you know, like, are you doing, potty training with rewards or without rewards is so irrelevant to raising good humans and so much more just does that serve you like keep asking yourself does this serve me as a parent if it doesn't it literally does not matter if it makes your day easier godspeed like enjoy take in all the information do the thing make you know like make the commitment to the different approaches that you just feel really good about great. But if it doesn't, know that it doesn't matter. That anything procedural that we get like stuck in, sleep, feeding, you know, all that stuff, it's there. I have all those things in the book. I do this stuff because it makes your day easier sometimes. Like you want your kid to fall asleep and you want them to get good sleep. How they go about that is gobbledygook if you think that one way is better than the other. There are ways that are better for you and there are ways that are better for your particular child, but, and you know, I'm here for it all, but it doesn't matter. So I would say that to, to just remind yourself, like I'm the thing that my child, my baby needs most and not the perfect me and not the me that forgot that my, you know, like my baby was crying while I was in the shower and I didn't know. And oh my God, like your 52% on it parenting is exactly what your child needs so like more often than not (laughs) yeah that's Um, so good all right now what's the number one tip then for parents of teenagers what is your number one tip that you would want them to hear from you zip it (laughs) listen and operate with curiosity like do not share your wisdom unless it is asked for just because Every time we take a moment and we make it a teachable moment, we lose them. If we can be curious and listen, they will keep telling us things. 
if we have huge reactions to things they tell us, by the way, I am such a hypocrite. So like, I'm no, I'm not, I'm still working on this, but they tell you something shocking about one of their friends. Don't have that shocked reaction because it will diminish the likelihood that if they end up in that situation that they're going to tell you about it. God, that's so good. (laughs) Can you just move in with me? It's so much easier when you have zero investment in the experience. Like when it comes, my kids have like, they want to do a bloopers reel of my parenting because they're like, if people knew, and sometimes they'll say, is that raising good humans? And I'm like, my job is not to get it right all the time. Oh my God. I love your girls. Oh my God. It's so good. So good. We need the blooper reel. Okay. So does it, does it worry you about when it comes to raising good humans, as we're parenting in this new digital age, right? In the digital space, the digital world, so different than the way you and I grew up, right? What concerns you about parenting in the new digital age? Because it concerns me a lot and it's on my mind all the time. And I'm about to get my daughter a phone when she turns 13. And we did the same with my son. And of course, we're like the last ones to get the phone in the grade, you know, the whole thing. And it just, you know, all this stuff worries me so much. So does it worry you the way it does me? And, you know, what should we (laughs) be thinking about when it comes to parenting in this new digital space? It worries me a lot, mostly because it's so, we just don't know. Like there's so much we just don't know. There's just not been enough, you know, we we will know in 10 years. Um, But reminding ourselves that this is you we have unique individuals and like if your child is not responding well to getting the new phone so if your child turns 13 and you're like we are going to do this we let your brother have a phone we're going to give this a try if you find that for whatever reason your one child really handled it well and it was not causing problems then you know, you have another child and they have a different reaction to it. You can say, Hey, I noticed that I was looking at your, I was looking at your history or I was scrolling through your algorithm. And I noticed a couple things that were red flags to me. And I wanted to talk to you about it. It keeps showing me pictures of diets and before and afters what's going on there. And also knowing that you don't need to keep like you can give your kids phones and freedom and then decide that it was not a good idea and say we're new plan so i think permission to remember that this is we're evolving people and evolving parents and you're not going to always be able to make the perfect decision so sometimes you have to say like i made a mistake and i think that we're not ready for this um but the other thing that really worries me is our surveillance capacity. Dvora Heitner talks about this a lot. Um, She's a tech, um, she's a tech researcher who looks at this from the perspective of a tech researcher, but the amount of surveillance that we can have on our kids is bonkers at this point. I mean, and this is not even just when they get their phones, but of course, when they get their phones, we can have so much, but even babies, parents of babies, like my, um, my cousin, love her. So I, I, I'm, there's no judgment. This is, this is an every parent experience, but she kept saying to me that she could see that her one and a half year old was headbanging 
in the crib when he was struggling to fall asleep sometimes or would wake up. And I, but like a little bit, it's not, I'm not happy about it, but it was a little bit and then he would go to sleep. And she looked every night and was freaking out about it. And I said, um, I noticed that because she showed me the video that the little 18 month old was pointing to the camera. And I was like, what do you, that feels weird to me. Like, why are you watching your baby so much? Like that's, that, that's probably something that many babies have done. And you would know if there was a problem, but obviously there's no brute, there's no problem. This is just like their own way of pointing to the camera and hitting their head against the crib a few times because they're being watched and they're trying to say something. Um, and so it's creepy. Like it's a creepy feeling that you're always being watched. And I think it goes from infancy. And I know that there's a lot to that headbanging thing that could freak people out. And that's a whole other conversation. Let's not do it here. Um, but it's just an example of it starts really early, the surveillance that we have on our kids. And then we're like, we know exactly where our teenagers are at all times. We, they, we know what messages they're getting and receiving. We know what they're seeing. And yes, we want to put guardrails up because this is something we can't even manage. Like, I don't even put my phone away when I should, let alone expecting an adolescent brain to. But so much surveillance and no capacity to even like get lost and like look at a map or, you know, walk into a store and say, may I use the phone? Like I, we are so panicked that they're gonna have a troublesome moment that we surveil them as if they are prisoners. And it worries me. On the other hand, sometimes it's really important. If you have a kid who is constantly doing things that are putting them in danger, you're gonna want more surveillance. But if you have a really responsible kid, show them that you are giving them more and more freedom and trust and stop surveilling them in a way that feels creepy. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think that if, if we put our kids now back in the 80s, when, you know, like you said, like going into a store, right. asking someone to use the phone, if they, you know, or God forbid they get lost and they need directions and they have to look at a map. I mean, what would happen even? I don't know. It's really kind of wild. So I think that the tech stuff is worrisome, but I think it's worrisome in ways that we might not even quite know. Mm-hmm. But I'm most worried about kids who already are struggling socially or emotionally. And then they're, they're given, it's not really the phone. It's the social media on the phone. It's the apps that are on the phone. Right. Um, right. You know, if they were just with the phone and then it's baby steps. Yes. But that's, and that's beautiful. Baby steps show you what both of you are capable of. And also, mm-hmm. you know, how much time you have to pay attention that matters. Like there are plenty of parents who might be like, look, I do think you're ready for social media or whatever, but I don't have time to monitor or navigate with you as you grow into it. So I'm just going to wait until I have time to pay attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. So a lot of people want to know, you know, obviously with your book coming out, we're going to have a ton of help, right? Because you give us all these resources on your podcast and in your content online, and then now coming out with your book in a few months. But other than those kind of resources, which is incredible, but when is it, when do we know 
when it's time for us to get outside help for our child. Yeah. You know, there's, there's so much, so many kids out there struggling with mental health and, you know, it's hard to these days. Parenting is the job is just getting harder and harder. So when, what are like the things we should look for when it's time to get outside help for our child? First of all, if you wonder if you need outside help, get outside help if you can, because it's not going to be harmful. Hopefully you'll find somebody who's connected to the same values you are and you feel good about and you trust. But um, on the other side of it, there is a lot about overdiagnosing and, you know, so you you really want to find someone, hopefully your healthcare provider, who you can trust with that recommendation and teacher, listening to teachers and your gut. But I would say if you're noticing changes that are happening in multiple settings for weeks, get outside help because something might be going on that you're not able to understand. If your child asks for help, get help. Mm -hmm. If your child isn't asking for help, but is completely shifting something that's been enjoyable to them, if they're disconnecting from the people that they care about, those are signs. But if they're adaptively dealing with suffering, like if they're sad, but they have adaptive coping mechanisms, I wouldn't really worry about it. I might say to them, hey, by the way, you do not need to have, like I notice that you you seem sad, you seem to be feeling sad. And I just want you to know there is support, like where you could have some help and normalize that. Mm-hmm. But, but also notice adaptive coping. If there's maladaptive coping, cutting is an extreme example of maladaptive coping. Substance use extreme example of maladaptive coping, like sitting in your room, crying and talking to your friend on the phone. I wouldn't worry about that. You are reaching out when you're sad to a friend and you have somebody listening. That would be sad because of course it's our kid and we don't want them to struggle, but it would make me also feel like, oh my God, this is what they're doing when they're sad. This is gold. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. All these things worry me so much as you can, as you, as you can tell. Um, Okay. So give us just a little with the book coming out, how do we pre-order it? Because everyone's going to want it after this, listening to you and all this, all your, all your advice is so golden. All these takeaways. I have so many, my, my first and most important is to start writing some things down about, you know, my definition of a good human, but how do we pre-order your book that's coming out? Tell us all about it. Okay. So if you just go to dralisa.com or Amazon or Barnes and Noble or whatever, you can pre-order it. But if you go to, if you pre-order it, just keep your order number or screenshot the receipt. And then you can go to my website, dralisa.com. And then once you put in your receipt or whatever, you'll get a chapter that actually goes through the topic of resilience and then age specific activities to do to build the muscles that I was talking about. And, um, and then there's going to be an online free zoom where I'm going to go through the tools for building resilience and answer questions because hopefully everybody's read the chapter and we'll have a little book club discussion in October. Oh, that's so good. I love it. Okay. And the book officially launches, you can pre-order it and get all this stuff, but it launches in January, Yes, which is so exciting. January, 2024. 
and tell us about your Instagram so we can follow along with all your content there too, because I love your Instagram. Oh, thank you. It is um, Raising Good Humans podcast. And I just try to aggregate and highlight all of the experts that are, you know, sometimes not out there because they're doing the research or whatever. So I try to put their sort of summary of the wisdom from the podcast that these, not my wisdom, I do not claim to have wisdom, but they do. Um, so I try to put the researchers out there and um, and then give some easy, quick tips because I know that sometimes listening to a whole podcast or reading a whole book is just not realistic for busy parents. Yeah, but sometimes it's so good to just get that quick little snippet. Yeah. Something they really need right then and there, right, right at their fingertips. It's so good. So we appreciate you so much. And um, I really want to encourage your daughters to get the bloopers up on Instagram. <laughs> that would be gold. That would be so good. But we know you keep it real. And I love that about you. You're, you're, you're not perfect. And we all know that our kids don't want perfect. They just want us. So yes, thank you for being real. And thank you so much. I can't wait to get my hands on your new book. I'm so excited for you. And I'm just so grateful that you were able to share some of your amazing wisdom and advice with all of us because we need so much more of you every single day. So thank you again so much. Thank you, Nina. That was so nice. And thanks for being a good human. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to my mom's podcast. Remember, you can find Nina's Got Good News on iTunes and Spotify, also on Google Play, Stitcher, and Outcast. And now we are also on Pandora. Please be sure to subscribe. Also rate and review all her podcasts too. And be sure to share it with a friend. The mission of this podcast is to get better together as a community in the audio space. Please follow my mom on Instagram. Her handle is Nina B. Clark. Don't forget, Clark has an E at the end of it. For now, I'm Blaine Clark. Thank you again for listening, and let's just keep being awesome. XOXO.